Father God, we thank you for the beauty of the day and the incredible privilege of being in this place. Chad and I are so glad to be here and so glad to be with these friends. We pray, God, that as you have heard our worship, as we've sung to your grace and your praise and acknowledged your faithfulness, that now, Lord, you'll teach us how to trust your faithfulness at a place in our relationships where we need to trust you, where it's hard to trust you, because that's where we need to trust you most. Teach us that word, I pray. Speak to us from your word to our hearts, to our lives, to our relationships today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jen and I were in eastern Tennessee last week. We love trying to get up in the color and all of that. One thing we discovered is the rest of the world enjoys that as well. Never been so crowded. It was incredibly crowded up there, but it was just so great to get back here. This isn't the Smoky Mountains, but it's beautiful in a way that speaks to our souls. And every time we come out here, we know that we're home, and we feel like we're home, and we're so glad to be here. But in the midst of all of that, some really tough stuff has been happening, as you know, this week. Natural disasters on every side. Three million people in California are without power today and first part of this week because of the wildfires that are happening out there, many of which are being caused by defective wiring in the power structure, the power grid. And so Pacific Gas and Electric is shutting off power to three million people to try to keep the wildfires from spreading. So the fact that we have electricity is something we should be grateful for, right? And then, of course, closer to home, last Sunday, as we were out in Tennessee and we were watching the Cowboys game, we started getting news about the horrific tornado that came through North Dallas. Our youngest son and his family missed it by a mile, maybe? I mean, they were hiding in the bathtub with the tornado sirens going on around. $2 billion in damage. Three schools that have been destroyed. All sorts of businesses and homes as well. And then closer to home, last Thursday, the lightning strike that destroyed the condo unit over on your way to the grill. That's a picture I took yesterday morning as Janet and I were out walking. Y'all may know Mike and Beverly Lee. They're here a lot in chapel. They owned a condo that was destroyed. Struck by lightning and destroyed. Burned down. Nobody hurt. Praise God. Well, you look at these natural disasters, and we grieve that they happen, and we grieve for the people to whom they happen, but at least we know there's no one to blame. It's just lightning, or it's a tornado, or it's fire. But when it's closer to home, that makes it more difficult on a completely different level. You may have heard about the news last night in this party venue in Greenville, out east of Dallas. Texas A&M Commerce was doing a homecoming party, and someone attacked the party, and two were killed and 12 were injured at a homecoming party last night. And then if you were watching the news this morning in the president's announcement, you heard that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, was killed yesterday. That is a major victory in the battle against terrorism. But it is, and as the president said, as others have been saying this morning, it in no sense ends the battle on terrorism. Uh, ISIS and radical Islamism is an ideology more than anything else. And we won't get into that this morning, but the struggle continues, even though this is a major victory. So here's the question this morning. As we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we're coming to a chapter now, a paragraph, where Jesus wants to talk to us about the people who've hurt us. Not so much about the damage from natural disasters, things that just happen to us in the world, but the people who have hurt us. If I ask you what person hurt you most deeply or most recently, what name comes to mind? That's who Jesus wants to talk to you about today. As we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount over the summer and across the fall, we come now to one of the most difficult paragraphs 
to apply. We're going to apply it by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, I trust. So here's what Jesus says. Here's how to handle anger. It starts in verse 38, Matthew 5. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. He's quoting a passage directly from the book of Exodus. This is one of the oldest laws ever known. It's known as the Lex Talionis. It's actually cited by Hammurabi in his code. It goes back thousands of years, even before Christ. This is a very common idea. In Jesus' period, this was very much the legislative basis by which crimes were prosecuted. Back in the book of Exodus, you find this, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This was actually a major step forward in the jurisprudence of the day on two levels. First of all, back in the ancient world where you didn't have police forces and uh, armies and all that sort of thing, the best way you had to keep somebody from attacking you was the law of what could be considered escalating vengeance. If you steal my car, I destroy your house. If you kill my child, I kill your family. If you kill my family, we kill your tribe. See how that would work? Escalating vengeance. But also see how damaging that would be. So when the Old Testament comes along and it limits that to eye for eye, tooth for tooth, it's removing the escalation and it's making the punishment fit to the crime. That's a basis for Western jurisprudence still today, is that the consequence should match the crime. A second thing it did was, in Jesus' period especially, it took vengeance out of the hands of the person grieved and put them in a criminal court system. They had a very elaborate means in Jesus' period by which the courts would decide what an eye for an eye actually meant, what the crime actually was, and what the, what the potential equal consequence should be. It became a legislative process. That was a major step forward in how jurisprudence was done. But now Jesus wants to apply what's a legal situation to a relational one. Now, I want to be real clear about this. What we're about to see in Jesus' teaching is not intended as a legal doctrine. That's the legal doctrine of the day. He wants to talk to us about personal injuries. He's not here to talk about criminal um, criminal activities. He's not here to talk about legislative issues. That's the legislative issue. He wants to talk to us about people who have hurt us in a more personal, relational way. And he wants to say four things to us. Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. The assumption is that you know evil people. There's no if in this, right? Do not resist. What does he mean by that? First of all, He's talking in four ways. First of all, about your honor. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. One of the most misunderstood statements in all the New Testament. In Jesus' day, and even today in the Middle East, you don't use the left hand in public. Another reasons having to do with hygiene for that we won't go into, but nonetheless, only the right hand is used in public. You only eat with the right hand. You only wave with the right hand. We warn people when they go to Israel not to wave at people with their left hand because that's considered an obscenity of sorts. You only use the right hand in public, all right? So now I'm going to pick on David. If I want to strike David on the right cheek, whoop, I can't get... You're, you, you got off easy, David. I've got a leash here. So uh, there we go. Imagine that I'm striking David on the right cheek with my right hand. How do I do it? The only way to do it is to slap him, right? If it's the left cheek, I can do injury. If it's the left hand, I can do injury. If it's the right cheek, it's a slap. It's a slander. It's a personal injury. It's not a criminal act. I'm not endangering his life. 
I'm endangering his honor. I've called him out, as it were. I've gossiped about him. I've slandered him. I've hurt him in some personal, relational way. And Jesus says, if someone does that to you, don't do it back to them. Don't respond in kind. In fact, let them do it again. Let them do it if they wish to do it. Don't respond in kind. Isn't that hard? Second application, Jesus says, speaking now to our possessions. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. In Jesus' period, you typically had two garments. You had an undershirt and then you had an overcoat. Your undershirt could be taken in a criminal um, prosecution. It could be something you'd hand over to pay a debt. If I owed David money, now I'm picking on David again, owed him money, he could literally sue for the shirt off my back and I could be required by the law to give it to him. But he would not be allowed to sue for my coat. If I'm extremely impoverished, maybe homeless, my coat might be my only shelter. It might be my only means of warmth in a cold night. He was not allowed to sue for my outer coat. Jesus says, give it to him anyway. Even though he's not allowed by law to take it, give it to him anyway. Now Jesus wants to talk about our time. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This was one of the most hated aspects of being subjects of the Roman Empire. Every place the Roman Empire expanded, it wanted to continue to remind its subjects that they were its subjects. So one of the ways they did that was this. If a Roman soldier is walking down the path with a pack, they always had a pack, and he sees a subject, he can make that subject carry his pack one mile. He can make them do that. No matter what they're doing, no matter who they're with, no matter what's going on in their lives, you might be rushing someplace else, you might have some good reason to be someplace else, but the Roman law required the soldier to make you carry his pack one mile. Now, the point wasn't that the Roman soldier needed a little relief from the weight of his pack. The point was to remind you that you're the subjects of the Roman Empire. And they can mess with you whenever they want. They can intervene whenever they want. They can make you do what they want you to do. It was one of the most hated aspects of being under Roman rule. It was a constant reminder that they're the ones in charge. Everybody, especially the Jews, because the Jews so hated these pagan Romans that had subjugated and in some ways enslaved them, especially hated this. And Jesus says, if they make you do it one mile, carry it two. Go twice as far as even the Roman law requires you to go. Then he makes one more application to your money. And someone said, now he's gone from preaching to meddling, right? He says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Again, in Jesus' period, there were specific acts and laws and regulations as regards when you could or couldn't be made to give to other people, but nobody was required to give voluntarily to an ask from another person. There was no law requiring you to do this. Just as today, there's no law that requires you to give me money just because I ask you to. If there's no debt involved, if there's no transaction, if it's just a personal, relational conversation, no law requires you to do that except the law of Jesus. And that's just what he says, folks. I didn't make this up. These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. And they're imperatives in the Greek. They're not options. They're not suggestions. They're commandments from the Son of God. If you're dealing with a difficult person in your life, don't resist if they slander you. 
Don't slander them back. If they want your possessions, don't take theirs. If they want your time, if they want your money, don't respond in kind, says Jesus. And that's tough, isn't it? Hard for me, too. I'm not up here sharing this with you as though I have it figured out, as though it's any easier for me to give up my honor or my possessions or my time or my money than it is with you. So why would Jesus say this, and how does it work? At the bottom line, what Jesus is asking us to do is to live a life of grace, a life that says, we'll say some more about this in a second, but there's a worldview in question here. In one worldview, in one way of looking how life works and what matters, what matters most to me is keeping as much honor and gaining as much honor as possible having as much of my own possessions, having as much of my own time, having as much of my own money as possible. What's mine is mine, and you can't have it. That's the world that we live in. That's a consumeristic, kind of consumptionistic, sort of capitalistic system that we all have grown up in, the idea that the more you have, the better you are. The more you have, the more you are. You are what you have. Someone asked a thousand people on a busy street corner, who are you? And everyone responded with what they did. Who are you? I'm a doctor. Who are you? I'm a lawyer. Who are you? I'm a teacher. No one responded by saying, I'm the child of God. In a culture that says we are what we do and what other people think of us, Jesus comes along to say, you are the child of God by grace, and if you know who you are, no one can take that from you. Not even if they slap you on the cheek. Not even if they make you do something you shouldn't have to do. Not even if they take something that isn't theirs. If you understand who you are as a child of God, they can't take anything that matters. Justin the martyr said to the Roman emperor, you can kill us, but you cannot hurt us. Imagine living like that. Imagine living so free by obeying Jesus' words that nobody could take from you anything that matters. That people can say things about you on social media that aren't true. And they don't injure you because you know who you are in Christ. The people can impose on you in ways that are completely unfair, and that's okay. Because you're not what they think you are. You are who you are in Christ. A counselor said years ago, stuck with me ever since, I'm not who I think I am, and I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. See how that works? I am who I think you think I am. And so if you slap me on the cheek, I must be worthy of being slapped. And if you take my stuff, you must deserve it. And if the world abuses me, I must deserve to be abused. And if people mistreat me, it's because somehow I deserve to be mistreated. And Jesus gives the lie to all of that. And Jesus wants to liberate us to live in such a way that we can give to anybody knowing that what matters most can't be taken. Did you ever see Les Miserables? Wonderful play. I got to see it on Broadway some years ago. I had tears when I saw it. There's this one particular place where this thief takes the golden, the silver candlesticks from the priest, and he's, got, he's been captured, and now uh, he's about to be sentenced to jail or even worse, and they bring him before the priest, and the priest says to the gendarme, to the soldier, oh, no, I gave him those, saving perhaps his life. And the thief is shocked, and the priest makes clear. 
You can't take from me what I choose to give. Imagine if the world lived by this paragraph. Imagine if the world lived by a value system that said, I live by grace, I am the child of God, you can't take from me anything that matters. And so whatever you take is yours. Now again, we're not talking a legal system here. We're not suggesting there shouldn't be criminal prosecution. I'm not suggesting that it was a bad thing that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed. I'm not saying that. We're talking about relationships in which we live by grace. And we can't do that unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. I doubt you can. So the prayer today is, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, help me to live by the words of Jesus. The next time I'm slandered, help me not to slander back. The next time somebody hurts me, help me not to hurt back. The next time someone accuses me, help me not to accuse back. Help me not to take what they did as justification to do to them what they did to me. Holy Spirit, help me to live by the words of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will help you live by the words of Jesus. And how different you will be in a world that lives by eye for eye and tooth for tooth. One last suggestion, and that is to take this a step at a time. C.S. Lewis has this remarkable commentary. The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you'll find yourself disliking him less. The difference between a Christian and a worldly man is not that the worldly man has only affections or likings and the Christian has only charity. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. In counseling, the principle is to act into feeling rather than feel into acting. A couple comes to the pastor and says, we just don't feel like we love each other anymore. And the pastor will say, well, do what you would do if you loved your wife. If you were more in love with your wife, what would you do? Would you take her to a movie? Would you buy her something? Would you do this? Would you ask forgiveness for that? Would you make peace about that? Well, do what you would do if you loved her more and you will find yourself loving her more. Don't wait until you feel like forgiving someone who slaps you. Act as though you did and the feeling follows. Act into feeling, don't feel into acting. Just take a chance on the possibility that Jesus is right when he says the best way to live is to live in such a way that people cannot steal from you what matters. So rather than retribution, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's a legal system. In a personal relationship, choose not to punish. Choose not to respond. Choose to give grace. And if you do that, you'll be following the example, most of all, of your Lord. First Peter 2. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did the very thing he's asking us to do. He will help us do it. So let me ask you to bring back to mind that person that came to mind when I ask you who's hurt you most deeply or most recently. Get their story back in your mind. And now would you ask the Holy Spirit 
to help you do what Jesus did and what Jesus has done for you. Close with this. The Thirty Years' War, back in the 17th century, 1618 to 1648, was one of the most horrific conflicts the world to that point had ever seen. One of the most punitive, one of the most unjust. Some of the crimes that were committed were some of the most obscene that the world to that point had ever seen. In the midst of all of that, there was a Lutheran minister who first articulated a way of life that was picked up later by John Wesley and by others and has been attributed to a variety of others, but was first suggested by this Lutheran minister during this horrific European conflict when he offered this way of living in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Rupertus Maldinius. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Let's ask God for all three. Pray with me. Imagine that person for whom this text is relevant to you. And right now, ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive and refuse not to punish. Ask the Spirit to help you do that. Ask the Spirit for unity, liberty, and charity. Now would you ask the Spirit to bring these words back to mind the next time you're tempted to respond to relational hurt apart from grace. Ask the Spirit to remind you of the grace you've received and help you offer that same grace. Father God, these are hard words. But I know they're not any harder for us than they were for Jesus when he spoke them and then lived them. So I pray that this day and this week you will help me to remember what we've talked about today. When I'm slapped, when I'm accused, when people act around me and with me and against me in ways that are unfair, help me to remember they can't take anything that matters and offer the grace that I've received. May that be my response and ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.